On the 22nd of April this year, 2016, the Paris Agreement was signed, which could be a world changer. Hopefully it will be a world changer in terms of climate change. On that same day, a thousand people met in Darmstadt in Germany where Passive House all began 25 years ago and they were gathering for the 20th International Passive House Conference. I had Dr. Wolfgang Feist on the show a couple of weeks ago and this week I have Elrond Burrell, a Passive House expert and architect, back on the show to discuss highlights from the International Conference. G'day and welcome back to another episode of Homestyle Green. This is the podcast dedicated to inspiring people to make a better place to live. Now recently on the show I had Wolfgang Feist who is the, well, the sort of co-founder, co-creator of Passive House. Uh, 25 years ago they put the first Passive House together and they recently had the 20th International Conference of Passive House in uh, Damstrad in Germany where it all began. And I recently got on Skype with Elrond Burrell, who's been on the show before, and he is a, an architect and writer and a speaker, and he was uh, he attended and he's actually presented at the 20th International uh, Passive House Conference, and so I caught up with Elrond to find out what uh, how, the, how the conference was, what the themes were, and uh, some highlights and some uh, very interesting stuff about how passive house standards or similar standards are progressing across Europe, but also across Asia as well. So before we get into that, just a quick shout out to our wonderful sponsors for the show, Proclimber. They definitely make this show more possible. And they can also make your passive house or even a high performance house possible as well. They specialize in air tightness. Uh, their Intello products is fantastic for controlling vapor and humidity. And you really need a layer like that if you're going to uh, be controlling the internal um, environment of your building. Plus also looking after the, the structure of the building as well because having a good um, air and vapor barrier is what's going to protect the, the whole envelope of the building and the structure of the building from getting moisture in places where you don't want it. So talk to those guys. They're super friendly, super helpful. Proclimate.co.nz if you're here in New Zealand or proclimate.com.au in Australia or worldwide, just go to proclimate.com. Now let's get on with the interview. And uh, here is Elrond Burrell from the UK. It's been a while since uh, I've had a chat to you on the show. Uh, and, and you've got quite a lot of stuff going since then. How's your... That's... How's your site? How's your stuff going? Uh, all going very well, thanks, Matt. It has been quite a long time since we talked, but uh, I've remained a uh, faithful listener in the meantime, catching up with all the other people you've been talking to. Yeah, um, yeah. So uh, very busy with work at Archetype, doing, um, continuing to do a lot of passive house work, and as you're probably aware, also quite busy with a very regular personal blog called Passive House in Plain English. Really trying to take the technical and kind of quite detailed sides of Passive House and make them more accessible and open to broader broader um, readers in the industry and outside the industry, really. Yeah. I'll come back to uh, Passive House in plain English because I think it's worth uh, doing a quick quick plug about that. So take us to Germany. Paint the picture for us. Uh, can you give us some numbers in terms of um, people, uh, size of the venue, how long it was? Anything you like? Sure. 
Um, well, this is maybe surprising. This is my first time going to the International Passivist Conference. That is surprising. I've been to, <laughs> I've been to a number of the UK Passivist Conferences, and I'm on the organising committee of the UK Passivist Conference. And I've been, uh, as you know, I've been to New Zealand and Australia for the South Pacific ones, which is a great privilege. Uh, but this was the first time going to Germany for the international, which was very exciting for me. Um, and there were a thousand people, I think, there. And right. uh, the the largest number of people were German, obviously, because although it's international, it's always in Germany so far. Um, and then after that, the second largest number of people were from China, with apparently 200 people from China. Is that right? And it, uh, it certainly looked like about that number of people. Wow. Uh, yeah, that was staggering. And then after that, I think the third largest group was from the UK, which I don't know how many people, but not 200 anyway. <laughs> yeah. So tell me about so, China. What's going on there? Yeah, well, China's really interesting. And I think it's come about because of um, kind of government and industry level um, kind of partnerships between Germany and China. And of course, because China's so big and they're so aware of uh, you know, their energy needs growing as their population grows and their resources shrinking as they kind of burn through the coal pretty fast. Yeah. They're, um, they do seem to be starting to pay attention to what they can do about that. And certainly there's been a couple of um, kind of eco-park developments where they're building a whole range of buildings to explore what they can do. And in a couple of those, they've done a number of passive house buildings now. Um, first one was a few years ago, actually, by German architects in Shanghai, and there's been been a few since, and they're they're all pretty big buildings. Yeah, there's a they couple of there's a couple of small house, buildings. No, there's a couple of small buildings, but then the rest of them are all quite big. So like um, um, five or six story hotel buildings, or even taller than that residential accommodation. So yeah, so that's quite. And these and, and they they're passive house standard. They are they certified? That's right. Yeah, they're certified. Yeah, going wow. through the, the institute in Germany, and um, quite often they've got German architects or or other Western professionals involved. Yeah, um, to kind of do knowledge transfer, really. So there's a lot of training, and I know the Passivist Institute and the Passivist Academy in Ireland have both been running Passivist designer courses in China with quite large uptake from the sounds of it. Right, and I forget the exact numbers, but the um, the lady who represented the Passive House Association of China, I think it is, or the, the, it's either an association or institute or something in China that's mm-hmm. kind of the the grouping there, was sharing some of the stats. It was like from four years ago, nothing to six or seven certified buildings and 10 certified Passive House components, so triple glazed windows. Um, not sure what the other components are, actually, to be honest. I think they're mostly windows so far. Well, now that's interesting. So, for people that listeners who don't know, what is a passive house certified component? Well, a certified component is essentially an element that can be used in a building which has been through some pretty rigorous testing mm. with the Passive House Institute to say that it is um, suitable for use in a passive house building. Having certified components doesn't mean the building's necessarily certified, and kind of vice versa. You don't need to use certified components, but if they're certified, they've got a range of uh, kind of verified data associated with them. So if you use a certified window, you know the thermal bridging of the frame and all that kind of stuff is already checked. So you don't need to kind of double double check all that stuff. 
Yeah, so there's going to be more of that now available from China, which is yeah. an interesting trend in that country because, I mean, we've got certified buildings down here in New Zealand, but I don't think we anyone's producing any certified products. Not um, yet, whereas, no. <laughs> you know, them being a manufacturing country, they, they've jumped on to that pretty quickly by the sound of it. Yeah, pretty quickly. And there's so one of the passive house certified buildings is actually the headquarters for a window manufacturer right. producing certified windows. And I did, I must say, I was quite well skeptical, I'd say, about yeah. Chinese produced certified windows and kind of wondered. I mean, it's not great. Well, Chinese, to when, take you say that, the world, when you say that, when you say that, it's it sounds, I mean, what do you think of is like poor quality. That's right. And I certainly have that kind of prejudice myself yeah. about. Certain Chinese products. I mean, obviously, iPhones and all the rest of them are produced in China. So it's not, you know, we we kind of have that prejudice, but it's not the reality. But I did talk to I did talk to a couple of the guys at the Pacifist Institute who work on the certifying components side of things, and and did kind of press them a bit on that and say, well, you know, how you know certifying a component made in China, how reliable is that, or what's the kind of manufacturing standards that go along with it. And they said that they were pretty confident about it because the Chinese companies are basically going to Europe, buying the equipment to use to make the components, taking it right. back to China, getting all their skills up to the same level, and then just producing it. So there's, they said there's just no reason to doubt that what they're producing is not equal in quality to something produced elsewhere. Mm, mm. They did also, the Pacifist Institute guys did say, of course, they would prefer to see that um, countries... Have people have people in the country producing their own components, so they don't have to get shipped all the way around yeah, the world. Yeah. Because aside from any kind of environmental impact of shipping around the world, there's just the the huge benefit of having somebody local who's got the technical expertise to support the um, installation and the you know the after sales service and things like that when you're yeah. using their components. Yeah. Ah, uh, very interesting. So that was, so, so yeah, China. That was very exciting. We need yeah, to look out for China. And of course, they've got a lot of different climate zones in China. Yeah. Um, there's some interesting work. There's a bit of Australian uh, present, presence there. There was um, quite a lot of work presented from Spain, which was quite interesting. Don't really hear a lot about Pacifas coming out of Spain, but there's like public libraries, office buildings, single houses, uh, all very interesting. Um, and the, so the conference had a bunch of workshops and training in that beforehand. Right. And then there was a kind of official opening on the Thursday night. And then Friday, Saturday were two full-on days of uh, presentations and workshops. I um, I gave a presentation about how, as arch architects, uh, we've managed to really support clients in taking up Passive House and going through that kind of journey of helping them get educated and get understanding and get on board and kind of uh, procure Passive House buildings because it's something at Archetype we've been very successful in helping lead that with clients. You, um, you've done that um, by stealth a few times as well, haven't you? Or, or, or saying, well, we're going we're gonna to give you a great building and not necessarily uh, being driven by the client saying we want a passive house. Yeah. I mean, we've always been up front to say we will be doing it to a yeah. passive house standard. Yeah. But, <laughs> not not surprised. But, um, but yes. <laughs> but and they've been very supportive. But there have been a number of times they've just said, well, you know, there's – Here's the budget. Here's the program. If you can do Pacifist in that time with that money, then great, go for it. But we're not giving you anything extra. Yeah, which has been, you know, it's an interesting challenge to have. But we're working at quite a large scale with schools and things, so it's quite achievable. Is that approach transferable to residential buildings? Um, 
it really depends on what your budget is for the house, I think. Yeah. I mean, if you're trying to just do the, the you know, as cheap as you can get away with it, the minimum code, then I think it's it's quite difficult to expect that to be matched with a passive house building. Yeah. Um, I mean, places like Ireland now is, you know, code minimum in Ireland is so very close to passive house anyway that there have been articles published in the, in the passive house plus magazine, which, They've got builders reporting that they can deliver passive house cheaper than doing just code minimum, right? Because of it, because of it being kind of integrated design approach, that so means it's right, right. You're not kind of adding things on to score points or things. And that says a lot about the the, the high standard of their code as well. It does absolutely, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, uh, and then so there's conference for two days, and then there's kind of um, there's some really inspirational speeches from there's a guy that kind of got the uh regulation through the um european union parliament to uh push for near zero energy buildings there was wolfgang feist of course talking about uh, progress and um there was one of the co-authors of or sorry co-chair i think he is or, or president of the uh, club of rome who published the uh, limits to growth um, publication i think it's about 30 years ago now and and there's all the evidence is pointing to to their kind of modelling is coming true that you know what they were predicting about uh, resource scarcity is very much in line with what's really happening now. Right. And uh, and another German, um, I don't know, I don't know who he was. Didn't know his background particularly, but he's very well known for publicising and and kind of and um, writing about renewable energy. So he was talking a lot about renewable energy. And of course, Passafast has got the new new options under the standard now to actually measure uh, renewable inputs into the passive house building as well. Yeah. So is this in the new then, version, the, the, the latest version of the, the tool and the standard? Say again, sorry? Is this a, the latest version? Yeah, so PHPP, the, the modelling tool, is version 9.3, I think now, and version 9 has got in it the options to do Passive House Classic, which is kind of, you know, not counting renewables, particularly just simply looking at the performance of the fabric and the systems of the building. Yeah. And then there's Passive House Plus, which has got to meet all the same requirements of that. Plus, it measures um, a certain degree of input for from renewable energy on the building or, or very close to the building related to the project. And then there's Passive House Premium, which takes that a bit further and, and kind of looks at how you or oh, sorry, measures producing more renewable energy than your immediate needs in the right. building. I mean, it's very it's very carefully done. It doesn't sort of sell itself as net zero or anything like that because it does. it's very accurate in terms of the modelling and acknowledges that in summer you're more than likely to have surplus energy from your renewable generation and in winter you're still likely to have a gap and it's kind of this, there's the night-day difference between generation and demand of energy and then there's the seasonal demand and and uh, generation capacity as well. So it's um, you can kind of average it annually, but that doesn't necessarily mean very much because you may still have way too much than what you can use in uh, summer and nowhere near enough to what you actually need in winter, right, even right. with a very low demand building like Passive House. You mentioned the EU and mm. the, the New Zero Energy uh, regulations. Just um, give us an overview of what that, what that is and um, what it means for buildings now. So the EU has, um, has has got this legislation which says that in, I think it's 2018, all public buildings in member states must be uh, what's classified as a near zero energy building. 
and by 2020, all buildings, so all new buildings they're talking about, um, so that then goes to private sector in, in 2020 as well. Or it might have pushed back to 2021, I can't remember. Um, and their definition is near zero because they're not pushing to try and make everything zero. They're just saying, you know, there's a kind of um, there's a kind of economic point of diminishing returns. So yeah. you get to the point of near, and that's basically the definition of passive house or something very similar to that. Right. And then and then the expectation is that part of that mix is is that you're then generating the remainder through renewable sources, and it's been left so far been left up to member states to bring it into law with their own kind of definition of exactly what that means, which in the UK, we had this kind of um, zero carbon house standard, which has then recently been scrapped. So um, kind of a bit of a debate about that, whether it was a good thing that it was there before or a good thing that it's been scrapped or what, we're not too sure. But then the UK is having another debate about whether to stay or leave the EU anyway. So it's quite how that's going to play out. But it's still, I mean, that's still going to have big implications across Europe. What What is that doing to the standard of building in the region? Well, it does because it's, it really, what it does is really provides industry certainty. And I think mm. that's the key thing for private industry is just knowing where things are going and where it's worthwhile investing in and what kind of things are going to be coming in the near future. Yeah. So it does, it does mean that, like the Irish standards are very close to Passos already, and uh, some some uh, city regions in Ireland are now saying they want Passive House or some kind of dem- demonstrable equivalent to that, which there is really no other alternative at the moment. Um, in other places, Brussels and, and different parts of Germany, things have all stipulated that Passive House is what they need now. So, surely, the, um, surely there must have been a opponents to that though from the industry saying this is this is far too stringent and we don't need this level and it's it's going to be too expensive i think um there have been in in most places yes and it's kind of and that's probably why it's been left up to member states to determine the exact details of how they want to implement it right but the experience of places that have done so like brussels is the classic one that's cited most often and everyone there said, oh, we can't possibly do that. It's too hard. It's too different to what we're doing at the moment. And they said, well, we're going to explore it. And they put out a certain amount of money to say, if you do, you know, if you develop things to a certain stage, then you get a, you get some funding. Yeah. They made it really easy to get the funding. So you didn't have to jump through lots of hoop to get it, yep. hoops to get it. But it wasn't, again, it wasn't tied to something really specific, which is you, you prove you're doing something on this route and we'll give you some money to help you. Right. And then they just, and then they got to a certain point, and they said, right, from this date, three years out in the future, everything must be passive house. Yeah. And because they just, because they then made it law, it was kind of the end of argument in yeah. a way. Yeah. And the industry then just basically went as fast as it could to get ahead of that. And right. So instead of instead of it being a problem to do passive house, it's just all the contractors and the architects thinking. Okay, we're all doing passive house. So, what can we do beyond that? That's going mm. to differentiate ourselves now. Yeah, right, right, yeah. And I think it, it it seems a bit hard to believe in a way, but if you look at the evidence of other things, like um, bringing in legislation to say fridges have got to be energy efficient. Yeah. Everyone kind of complains about it for a few years, yep. then the legislation comes in. Then after that point, everything's on the same level playing field. Mm. So costs come down. Everyone gets used to that being the standard way of doing it. 
and then uh, things just kind of go forward from there. So yeah, yeah. legislation can certainly be very powerful when done right. Well, and like you say, it's industry certainty. If people know yes, where yeah. it's going and if they're being supported if they, in the short term to get there, then yeah. that ultimately makes the, makes the transition um, possible. You mentioned uh, just come back to the um, to the conference. You mentioned Spain and Australia, uh, mm. and and of course diverse climates in um, across China. Was there much talk about uh, warmer climates and the the growth or how to how to get passive house seen as relevant in those warmer climates? I didn't attend anything myself that was talking specifically about how to get it to be seen as relevant there. But it was interesting because the, the ones in Spain that I saw were quite focused around preventing overheating and mm. making sure that ventilation was right and shading was right. And they were demonstrating that it, that it, you know, it was entirely possible and very comfortable and, you know, no problem at all there and very beneficial. And so some of them were public buildings. And so the, you know, the, I think they were city government ones. And so they were quite, um, like a public library, and I think the other one was like a police headquarters. So they were, you know, they were public bodies that were calling for them, so they're obviously seeing the benefit of it. Yeah. And it's not like, you know, it's not like a few kind of lone uh, uh, individual fanatics that are out there saying, oh, I want to have passive hours. It's really just like kind of public interest yeah. in getting good buildings. Yeah, yeah. What about um, America? Was there an American presence? There was. There's quite a large American presence, and that was very interesting. Um, I didn't see a lot of the presentations myself from them, but I did. Um, I did get to meet quite a few people from America and talk to them about how they're doing things. And uh, it was, I mean, it's fantastic from that point of view. It's lots of people that I know from their posting online and sharing their projects and things like that. And to meet them in person, and uh, I went out to a dinner after one of the days of the conference and sat down with some of the guys from uh, Go Logic who are in um, yep. Maine in America and. Yep. Um, doing some really fantastic work there. And this, we were like swapping details and talking about what we understood from some of the presentations and what we learned from it and just sharing what we were doing on projects and how we do things the same and how we do things different. And it's really fascinating. I mean, it's just, that, that is perhaps the best thing about it is it's just such a great bunch of people all doing, you know, all working in a similar kind of field where they're really driven by seeing how they can, do something which makes such a positive difference in the world. Yeah, yeah. And I guess because it is a relatively simple standard in terms of, mm. you know, there's sort of four or five key parameters that, that you're all talking the same language. So you know, how, right. how yeah. you do that with, with US building materials and, and techniques and how you do it in the UK or Germany will be completely different. But mm. you it's it's that common language because it's it is an international standard, isn't it? So you're all facing yeah. the same, the same, not well similar challenges, but to get to the same objective. Yeah, that's right. And it's really, I mean, it is interesting because the climate might be different and the cultural yeah. situation might be different, but sometimes actually parts of the building are almost the same. It's yeah. like dealing with, um, you know, dealing with how people use the building, what kind of equipment you've got in the building, what effect that has on how well the building works and things like that. Yeah. So it is, it's lots of, um, and I think the Passive House community is just incredibly honest in terms of sharing what does work and what doesn't work and what people have learned from that process so people don't have to keep repeating the mistakes. It's yeah, kind well, of really to committed well. to taking things yeah. forward and not just kind of, it's not glossing over and just thinking everything's perfect. It's like it's a real continuous learning. Yep. Yeah, 
And then, I mean, the other thing, which for me was probably one of the big highlights of the conference was the final, so the Sunday after the conference had officially closed, was the excursions. And so I, there's a choice of about four or five, and I went on one that was in Darmstadt. So the conference this time returned to where where the Pacifist Institute was set up, yep. um, so back to its home place. So this is the 20th conference, but actually 25 years since the construction of the very first building um, that met the well, what became the International Pacifist Standard. Mm-hmm. And so um, I chose that uh, the excursion that went back to Wolfgang Feist's own house, and he showed us around the inside. And his, uh, his wife, who's also um, you know, a key player in the Pacifist Institute, showed us around the mechanical systems, and then uh, a colleague of theirs showed us around the outside of the building. So is, his, and, um, is this one of the four houses that are built together? That's right, yes. Yeah. So it's a terrace of four, and they live in one of the end terraces. And he and they still say, live there? They still live there. And he wow. said a couple of the doors are shut, and he said, "Please don't go in those rooms. Those are where our uh, those are our children's rooms, and we didn't want to force them wow. to tidy up their rooms." Uh, <laughs> and it's yeah. I, I mean, I've put pictures up, but it, that's quite a, a modest dwelling, isn't it? For what you know, some would, would consider an international superstar of the building industry. <laughs> it is, and what's quite interesting, I mean, the thing that was most striking to me, apart from all the uh, you know amazing performance. And, you know, they cut out some of the wall and check the insulation. It's all still, you know, perfect after 25 years. Yeah, right. Um, but what struck me the most was that you often see it as this kind of stark German kind of box sitting in space. Yeah. <laughs> but actually you go there and it's in quite an innovative part of the city. Right. It's surrounded, surrounded by other housing, which is all really diverse. And some of it's passive house, some of it's not. It's got so much green space around it. And you look out from inside the house and you're looking over green roofs of the adjacent buildings and you've got gardens and kind of there's a football, you know, like a little field right next to them with his football goals in it. And things like that. It's like you kind of get it and get it in isolation when you see it in all the publicity shops. Yeah, when you go yeah, there. It's just yeah. like it's a real living neighborhood of people and kids and cars. And it's wow. uh, not so many cars, actually. It's quite a it's quite a quite um quite a good area with not too many roads and lots of pedestrian areas between the buildings yeah yeah so oh, we saw that and saw some other um saw some other housing which was some of it was baugruppen you know this uh, style of housing where families get together collectively and then kind of employ the architect and the contractor to build their project right um and saw a, a refurbishment of an office building which was interesting and um and actually, the office buildings, interesting, they told some stories about how they got the funding. You kind of have this idea that in Germany and in Darmstadt, where the Institute is, it's all easy. They must be all doing passive house. Yeah, yeah. But it's really not. They face all the same challenges as we face. And right. um, they said that the city, who they're a city department, and they're trying to get their funding for it, and they were quite skeptical of some of it. And they said they managed to convince them that they absolutely needed heat recovery ventilation. And the, the reason they managed to win them over on was that actually outside the building is a really big road and it is very, very noisy. Right. And they just said, you know, we can't do our work. It's too noisy in here. We need to be able to keep the windows closed during the day and have proper ventilation. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, so it's not about not about the kind of energy standard or things like that. It was just about actually having a good place to work and be. Yeah, yeah. Was there much on health um, in the conference or was it mostly energy um, efficiency? There certainly was some looking at air quality and monitoring and things like that. Mm. Um, and don't remember, there was some that was kind of connecting to health, but I didn't see a lot of it myself. But that's um, interesting I mean, that a project like that got over the line because of in, indoor, internal environment quality yeah, more than anything yeah, yeah. else. 
I mean, they did make the case they're going to save energy as well, but you know, that's, yeah. that's kind of part of the mix. Yeah, yeah. And, Interesting. Um, so overall, yeah. um, was what did you get a sense of? Uh, you know, twenty five years on, obviously a bit of a celebration, um, but was hmm. was there sort of a general feeling that you took away from the event? The general feeling was that it was that um, that with climate change and so many other related issues around the world is that we have to do something. And so often, you know, there's a lot of talk about the Paris Agreement just being signed by 165 or 175 countries. Because it was like the day before the the conference, wasn't it? That's right. And um, and so there's a lot of talk about that. And and there was a guy there from the UN who actually gave a keynote as well, actually. And kind of making the point that it's all very well that leaders sign policies and, and countries make kind of policies and all that, but somehow it has to get implemented. And that's that's where the rubber hits the road. Yep. And and Passafaust is one of those areas where you know it does work and it's shown to work and it really is making positive difference. And I think the um that's why the UN guy was there because he was saying, you know, we want to partner with the PHI and we want to make sure that this does happen because we know all the people working in the Passafaust movement as it is around the world are actually already doing this and showing that you can cut energy use of a building by 70 percent and um and you know buildings are responsible for something like 40 percent of uh, carbon emissions so it's um you know really big difference that can be made so buildings are a big impact we've got a big problem and passive houses is a a solution to that it's yeah, it's definitely part of the solution, and it's work, and it works, and it's kind of it's a known solution because so, you know, most technology takes twenty to thirty years to go from prototype to actual yeah, commercialization yeah. and use. Yeah, and you know, Passive has had twenty five years yeah. now, and it's you know it's being applied across a whole lot of typologies and a whole lot of uh, climates, and there's so much research being done. It's not <laughs> for a passive house standard. It's not at all passive. You know, it's very active in terms of developing. Its application across the world. Yeah, yeah. Elrond, um, we should wrap up. If uh, people probably know you, but if by some <laughs> chance they've been hiding under a, a rock uh, and they haven't heard of you, where where can they find you? Well, the easiest thing is, well, they can Google my name. They'll get a whole list of places where I am. Yeah. But um, but my personal website is just elrondbarrell.com. Just spell it all out. Um, and they'll find my blog there, and that's got links to my social network profiles and things like that, so they can find me that way. And Passive House in plain English, who's that for? Yeah, that's the name of my blog, and that is for um, people that are interested in learning Passive House for some reason or other. So it's a lot of it's written for other architects that want to learn about Passive House that aren't doing it yet. Um, but also self-builders, people that want to people that want to um, get their own passive house for themselves, or people that want to have a school or another building that's passive house. There's um, it's kind of written for those people that are that are not passive house experts themselves, but want to learn about it. Great. Hey, well, thank you very much for your time, Elrond. Uh, really appreciate it, and I'm I'm glad that you could get uh, to your first international <laughs> conference. Hopefully, uh, you. have you booked in for ne- for the next one? Where's the next one going to be? I don't know, actually. They didn't say where it's going to be this time. Usually they announce where it is, but this time they didn't for some reason. Right. So I don't know. No, I'm not booked in for it yet. We'll see when it comes. Awesome. (laughs) Hey, well, thanks very much. Appreciate your time. All right. Thanks, Matt. 
And that was Elrond Burrell speaking to us from Hereford in the UK, having just been to Germany to attend the 20th International Passive House Conference. As Elrond said, you can find him at elrondburrell.com. His surname is spelt B-U-R-R-E-L-L. So Elrond Burrell, all one word, elrondburrell.com. If you just search for Elrond Burrell, he'll pop up. He's in all sorts of places on the uh, on the web. He's prolific on Twitter, great person to follow on Twitter. And he also has a fantastic blog, which is... Um, Passive House in Plain English, which is, like he said, a great place. If you're just getting started about what is this this Passive House thing, that is a really good place to, to go. And also if you are in the industry and you want some help with a few, some technical issues, he does deep dive into some of the uh, the, the, the details and the, the uh, intricacies of the Passive House standard. So check Elrond out for all things Passive House. And uh, also, as I mentioned, be sure to check out ProClimber if you are looking at doing a project for yourself or for someone else and you want to build a, uh, a high standard building that's going to be warm, dry, comfortable and energy efficient. You are going to want to have an airtight and vapor controlled uh, envelope and there's no one better to help you with that than ProClimber. So check them out, proclimber.co.nz. Thank you very much for tuning in. Love to get your comments, feedback on this and other episodes. You can leave a rating and review over at iTunes or you can contact me directly at matthew at homestylegreen.com. Thanks very much for tuning in. Now go make a better place to live.